This episode of School PR Drive Time is brought to you by Final Sight. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the Director of Communications for Buncombe County Schools. Today, I'm joined by my co-host and co-producer, Kevin Smith. And I am Kevin Smith, happy to be a fellow member with you of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the Chief Public Information Officer for Orange County Schools. Really looking forward to today's episode where we will be chatting with Dr. Baron Davis. He's the founder and CEO of the Noegenesis Group, a solution-focused and outcomes-driven educational think tank and consulting firm. Dr. Davis has been on our radar screen. He served as superintendent for seven years in South Carolina's Richland District 2. While there, he was honored by our national organization with the Bob Grossman Leadership in School Communications Award. That meant that he came to us in New Orleans and spoke to everyone gathered for the 2021 National Seminar. Dr. Davis left a lasting impression on all of us with a very simple question that I know we're going to get into today. Additionally, last November, Dr. Davis was the keynote speaker at the SCNSPRA Fall Conference, and he regularly addresses professionals in educational leadership. Dr. Davis covered a number of topics, but his presentation on maintaining physical and mental wellness in this stressful industry really resonated with me and really looking forward to this. He is going to explain the 10 finger down challenge and how we can do this really poignant exercise in our own districts. I think it's been exciting talking with him. I know folks are going to take a lot away in terms of how we can focus on students and staff well-being and how each one of us has a role to play in that station. I'm so glad you invited me to this conversation today. Absolutely. Well, we have lots to cover today. Let's start the show. Welcome, Dr. Davis, to School PR Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. To get us started, please tell us a little bit about your professional background. Uh, well, first, thank you for uh, having me on uh, on your show today. Um, my background in education started out as uh, a, um, a school counselor. Um, I was initially hired uh, at Spring Valley High School to serve as a school counselor uh, and then quickly transitioned uh, actually within the, before my first day of reporting uh, as an assistant administrator responsible for working with students and uh, reducing the retention rate that led to then becoming an assistant principal, um, and then uh, principal uh, in Orangeburg Consolidated School District Four, uh, which then led to an opportunity to be principal uh, at Richland One at Alcorn Middle School, and then back to Spring Valley as principal, and then um, uh, assistant superintendent, and then superintendent in Richland School District Two. So I started out. Uh, my PhD is in counseling education, so uh, the focus was on counseling and my uh, undergrad degree is in sociology. That's a great segue into uh, my first question. So let's just kind of start broad. Um, what is your approach to maintaining health and wellness and why is it important? Well, you know, I, I really kind of have come to uh, this point in my career because I didn't always do that. Um, and so a lot of what I share about maintaining um, you know, health and wellness uh, has come from my per personal experiences of struggling with maintaining health and we wellness, uh, both physical uh, health uh, as well as your mental uh, health and wellness and well-being. Um, and so I've implemented um, some 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 strategies and some practices that have uh, helped me uh, uh, do uh, to do a better job of doing that. 
um, things like um, taking uh, the opportunity to really disconnect uh, from uh, our technology. So I had this practice where I would sleep with my cell phone right next to my bed. And in the middle of the night, I would check uh, emails, text messages, or whatever may have come through, particularly when I became a principal and then as superintendent. Um, and then I found myself not being able to rest because someone would have sent me something uh, at 12 or 1 a.m. or even four or five in the morning. And now I'm focused on that issue or challenge and I'm not even getting uh, the proper rest that I need. Uh, and so I stopped doing that. Um, I stopped uh, checking my messages in the middle of the night. Um, I started spending time in the morning meditating before I would go to work. Uh, spending more time with my family uh, as we were preparing for our days uh, because everyone in the house at that time was going to a school. So whether it was my children or my wife, we were all going to a school building somewhere. Uh, and so we would try to spend more time in the morning, focus on family time because it was being interrupted throughout the day uh, and particularly at the end of the day because of the of the demands of the work that I was doing. Eating better uh, was a, uh, also something that I wanted to put into practice walking um, during the work day, taking meetings while walking. And so when I became superintendent, uh, we put a tr uh, we had a, a walking path around our, our, our district office um, with each uh, with like these signposts or stop posts where we, you would get to a certain place. You were supposed to do some sort of act, exercise or activity, whether it was mindfulness activity or whether it was some sort of physical activity. But you would take that opportunity to walk around the building. So I would take uh, a time to walk uh, as much as I could um, each day. Um, and that gave me time to think. And if someone wanted to chat, then they could come and walk with me. So it was little practices, things like that, that I began to incorporate into my daily routines that really helped me with my physical well-being as well as my mental, my mental well-being. Dr. Davis, I'm so glad that you kind of brought up all of those issues and that you also referenced your own family. Uh, like I said in our intro, uh, one of the ways that you left a mark on us a couple of years ago was when you came to the New Orleans National Seminar and you asked everyone, you were a recipient of this award. We were so excited to welcome you as a superintendent who's so focused on communication. And you simply asked us again and again, how are the children? And the idea that that the wellness and the well-being of all the folks in the room, the students that we serve and the staff who serve them, the idea that that's kind of animating all of your work. It's no surprise you started with a counseling background, um, but you also referenced the fact that for us as school communicators, the ability to take care of each other and to take care of our superintendents, to take care of the staff that we work with was crucial to taking care of the students that we work with. What is it about the students' well-being in the places that you've served and with the leaders that you're working with now? What have you seen in terms of the, the net effect of this approach? If you spend more time in that mindfulness, if you are preparing yourself and your, you know, your environment for the best possible work, what have you seen happen with the school leaders that you're working with now? I think when the school leaders and the educators and the adults in the in the building um, understand and practice mindfulness or have routines of wellness, how they deal with stress and anxiety, challenges, frustrations, I think students observe that and they see that and they can either learn good strategies or they can learn poor strategies from the adults. So they're watching how you handle stress. Yes. And so if you're easily frustrated in the classroom as a teacher, then the expectation that the children should be more resilient 
or should be able to handle frustration as an adult when the adults can't handle the frustration well is really kind of um uh uh, absurd in a sense, you know, it, it's, it's like we have to be able to model that for them. And so that they can see that. And I think when adults are healthy mentally, uh, when adults are, are healthy emotionally and they demonstrate great emotional intelligence, um, when they, then they show that they have the ability to be resilient, to deal with frustrations, aggravations, challenges, depression, anything that we have, um, that we may struggle with, when we can demonstrate and then uh, and teach our students how to do the same, I think it, it creates a more uh, well um, uh, school community. Uh, and I think it starts at the at the at the leadership level. You know, I wasn't always a, a leader that didn't yell. Um, you know, I was a leader that yelled a lot, actually, when I first started. And so if I'm frustrated. I'm yelling at kids. But as I got older and I realized and I became more well, more aware of my feelings, and my emotions and what were what were my triggers, then I stopped yelling at students and stopped yelling at people. And then I start talking more. And then that 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 teaches them to do the same. And then I'm able to kind of uh to share with them why you can't do this or how you should do this when you're tired or you're frustrated or you're annoyed. It doesn't come off, you know, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't come off this way. This is the best way to practice that. Now let's find some things to help relax you. Um, and I, th I think that was really, really important. I, I learned that a lot in my four years as a middle school principal. I could tell you that was tested every single day as a middle school principal uh, because there's a, you know, there's a, you got six, sixth graders who one year removed from fifth grade, you know, to, you know, eighth graders who think they are. Uh, you know, adults almost in a sense. And so the the range of emotions and frustrations and things like that and challenges that happen in, in a middle school was, uh, was, I was never short of those issues. And it's interesting you bring that up because I think that's uh, what makes education really unique is we have hundreds of little, little humans who are in our school buildings and we're responsible for, you know, their safety and wellness while, while they're with us. And so as such, as educators, you know, we're all very sensitive and I think we care deeply about our colleagues and about our students and about the institution as a whole. Uh, comment a little bit on that and tell me how you've seen kind of that particular, th these relationships and that sort of play out when health and wellness are not prioritized. Um, well, when they're not prioritized, I think one of the first telltale signs of that is going to be burnout um, um, by the by the individual. Um, and, um, it's very difficult to be fully committed to, um, something as important as educating the future of this country, educating the future, uh, others of the society and world is when you're burned out and you're tired and, uh, you just can't give your all. Um, you start also seeing a deterioration. You can easily start seeing a deterioration physically. You know, you can walk into a space and walk into a room and, and you can see, the the burden and the and and the the overwhelmness sometimes the way on on people's shoulders on their faces, um, and then that kind of creates a really uh, a mood um, um, and a and a certain energy and vibe in in the building and in the in the in your district or in your district office or whether it's your in your classroom or in um, your school building.
Um, and so that those emotions, those vibes, those things can become very, um, I think, contagious in a sense, right? And begin to permeate and penetrate into other people. Energy is not no longer never it's not created nor destroyed. It's transferred, right? And so you bring that type of vibe and that type of energy into the room. You can't create. It can be transferred to others. So I wanted to really work on um, as a leader to try to create conditions where people's joy can reside. I wasn't responsible for giving them joy, but I was responsible for trying to create the conditions where whatever joy that they had, they could actually bring that into the learning learning environment and the classroom experience and let everybody take part and participate in this joy, this joy that they have inside of them. And so that's giving them an opportunity to do things that were fun and creative, an opportunity to give them a sense of freedom, an opportunity to create this sense of love and belonging. All those things were important. These aren't my things. These are like Blaster's five basic needs. And so when I was, I would always try to operate from that premise. How am I helping students? How am I helping teachers? How am I helping those who are under my leadership meet their five basic needs throughout the course of the day? The need for love and belonging, the need for fun, the need for freedom, you know, the need for power um, so that they could find something that was joyful throughout the day. Um, that resonated with them on a personal level, which gave them a sense of, of balance and healthiness. I love hearing your leadership perspective, Dr. Davis, about putting the agency of our students and staff right at the center. And that uh, I heard you saying that you you saw your job as the leader to create conditions and provide spaces where all these good things could happen. So let's make it really practical. You had these great experiences as a middle school principal. And if you could survive that, you can survive just about anything. What are some of the things that you did or what's your one go-to when when you see that joy, belonging, fun, when you see that those are at risk, right? When you have noticed that the energy is there and is potentially contagious going in the wrong direction, what's your first step? What is the first thing that you do when you realize that there is uh, that there's a gap, that there is something off track? How do you bring folks back when you're in a space where people are off track? What's the first or maybe yourself? What's the first thing that you're going to do that you're going to say that helps remind yourself and everyone in that space how to get back to the space where these things are really operating? I, I don't. That's a great question uh, because I, I think sometimes it, it can be situational, right? One that approach may not work in every scenario, every situation, in every school or every office. Um, and I think it really takes um, you having a a, a a good feel for the space in which you're in. So. I spent a lot of time in the very beginning of, of my day and my week, particularly walking my space that I was responsible for. So if you think of it sort of a, like a shepherd, right? You can't, and I always talk about this. I, I try to practice what I call a shepherd. My, my leadership style is a shepherd leadership style. It's not, you know, I try to spend my time around the flock as much as I can. So I got to move in and out. Sometimes I'm in the middle. Sometimes I'm in the back. Sometimes I'm out front and I got to make sure the size and the flanks and everything is covered because things people are always trying to come in and, and attack the things that you, you know, the things you're trying to do and where you're trying to go right, wrong or indifferent. They want to break. This, sometimes they break those things down unintentionally or intentionally, intentionally. And so knowing my my spaces in which I'm I'm leading was important. So I would spend time walking the class, uh, the school every every day, speaking to teachers, speaking to students being in a cafeteria, 
being in the gym, doing the morning routines, being in the places where the vast majority of the student body was at one time to get the feel and the vibe for what that day was like. And I could sense tension sometimes when people would get off the bus and I would try to address those things head on right then and there, not watch a, a student being frustrated or being angry in the morning and not address those and not address it with him or her at that at that moment. So being very proactive with that. The same thing as a as a superintendent, trying to hit every floor, every space in the district office as much as I can um, to go by and speak to people in their offices and their cubicles, ask them how their day, what, how their day is going, what their weekend is like to be a very approachable and hands on leader. And people feel comfortable being able to come directly to you, come to your office to talk to you and share things about their day, share things about their weekend and share things about their their families. I spent time, I would write, you know, handwritten birthday cards and birthday notes to people, anniversaries, whatever I could do, um, and like uh, anniversaries for their um, uh, years of employment in the district. Spending time out at schools, talking to the building leaders, the principals, the families, being really, really approachable so that I can sense when those things would, would, would be, uh, things were not so going so well. So one quick example was in the middle school. My kids at the middle school level um, were like after lunch, they would go back to class and it was very rambunctious and uh, in the in the building. Uh, and so I would I've, I've actually I reinstituted uh, um, recess. I shaved off time at lunch and put it's not a novel idea. Right. We probably all had recess, but something happened when accountability became like the end all be all of how you measure the greatness of a school, middle school recess went away and people are just kind of reintroducing recess back to middle school. But you got a 12, 11, 12, 12, 13 year old student, 11, 12, 13 year old student never going outside and, and, and enjoying the day and getting that energy out. And you want them to be from one place to the next. And next and next and never have any fun at all during the day. So I implemented something that was, was fun back in the school, which instantly, I think almost immediately uh, curved a lot of distractions and interruptions during the school day. I like the practical side of that. And if I had to be in the building all day and couldn't move around and have some of that fun and joy, I'm not sure I would have made it either, Dr. Davis. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing thing, I think. Um, and I'm still shocked today. When I, I, I see middle schools that don't have recess um, for their students, I'm still shocked. I mean, 12 years old, and you want me to sit in a classroom for seven and a half hours at 12 years old? And, and it's almost as a wonder why students are on social media so much and things like that. I need an outlet uh, as opposed to, you know, I can't, even adults can't do that. I can't sit in my office for 12 hours. I mean, uh, seven hours, I got to get up and walk around and go, go somewhere and do something throughout the course of the day. But, you know, we, we magically expect adolescents to be able to do that some sort of way. <laughs> Excellent. Well said. Well, our conversation is just getting started. After the break, we'll talk more about how leaders and organizations overall can uh, support staff health and wellness. And we'll review a very poignant exercise that Dr. Davis did with us at the SC Enspra conference. All that and more is still to come. Stay with us, everyone. You're listening to School PR Drive Time. 
final site, now home to Blackboard K-12, is the preferred website and digital communications provider of more than 5,000 school districts across the country. We make it easy for schools and districts to transform community engagement, recruit staff, and strengthen their online presence while managing the complex requirements around data privacy, accessibility, hosting, and security. With scalable solutions to meet every district's unique needs, 24-7 support, in-house accessibility specialists, and tactical website deployments, FinalSight is equipped to help districts of all sizes launch and maintain websites that improve communications outcomes. FinalSight is proud to partner with North Carolina schools. Welcome back, everyone, to School PR Drive Time. Our guest today is Dr. Baron Davis. He's the founder and CEO of the Noe Genesis Group. We are discussing strategies with Dr. Davis to avoid burnout and mental overwhelm in highly stressful professions. And Dr. Davis, we know that you uh, have done this exercise in a number of different spaces, and hopefully you're going to share some of the wisdom with us so that folks can take it with them back into their daily lives. Since avoiding burnout is such a personal priority for educators and for leaders in the field, what are some of the individual strategies that you use to support this? And and how can I use just my 10 fingers to get there? You know, I, I think that, you know, of course, there are, there are a number of strategies uh, and, a, and a number of things that we can do to try to avoid um, burnout and really to protect our mental wellness. I, I think one of the most important things uh, for an individual to practice is appropriate boundaries and setting appropriate boundaries, particularly like leaders um, who are you know, school leaders or just leaders in general is finding the spaces where you can you can create boundaries. And then people don't really want to, uh, I think, em- sometimes embrace the importance of boundaries, but it allows you to maximize the time uh, and, this, and, the, and the place that you are at to do the work that you need to do. But you also have to be able to step away from that from time to time. Um, it's, it's things like when you're on vacation, take time to be on vacation, set the boundaries. A lot of, a lot of people I've seen teachers, administrators, um, you know, be on, they're, they're on FMLA and they want to work while they're on FMLA, you know, they're on vacation and they're, they're working while they're on vacation. It doesn't mean that you don't tend to certain things, but they're like working, you know, seven, you know, four and five hours a day. I was one of those people. I would say I would get up in the morning. I would check my emails in the morning. I'll check my emails in the afternoon while I'm on vacation and it ended up turning into work. So I'm 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 using a, a personal vacation day, but I'm I'm still working. I'm taking phone calls. I'm taking, I'm responding to emails. So you have to set appropriate boundaries. Um, you have to have, I would I told people, you know, have an accountability buddy. Who's the person that you can lean on that's gonna hold you accountable to make sure that you are doing the things that you said you're going to do to take care of yourself, that you're going to the gym that you're, and you're working out, that you're spending time um, doing things that you enjoy. You know, I ask the question all the time, how many of us are spend at least 10% of our, of the, a lot of time we have in a month doing something that brings us joy, things that we love, something that we're passionate about. That's only, that's about 72 hours. If you did 10, 10% of your time a month, is about 72 hours, it's 7, 720 hours in a month, pretty much. Do you spend at least 10% of that doing something you enjoy? And most people don't even spend 10%, 72 hours doing something they enjoy doing, you know, um, consistently. Um, so 
uh, that's important. Building a routine, having a self-care routine is important. And I, and one of my favorite strategies to self-care and, 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 and self-maintenance is if you're going to do something, I would tell people, book it, schedule it and book it. Um, because if you go ahead and book it and pay for it, you're probably going to do it. Uh, but if you just put it on the schedule, or you just tell people you're going to do it and you don't pay for it, you'll find a way to you'll find a way not to to get it done, or not to go uh, and don't skip uh, health visits, uh, doctor's appointments, uh, uh, eye exams, the dentist, your, your psychiatrist appointments. If you've seen a, a, ther a your therapist appointment, I, I was seeing a therapist for for a while. And I would not, I tried my best not to skip my therapist appointments because I needed that. That was a, a very safe space for me to be very vulnerable in my fears and my anxieties and my issues that sometimes as a leader, you may not have anyone that you can share those things with, right? And in the pressures and the stresses that you have, uh, particularly like doing COVID, um, coming out of COVID, I, I had, I, I started seeing a therapist that really helped me through some through some things to, to, to maybe see things a little bit differently. And I have a, 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 a counseling background, but I still didn't, I still needed someone that I could talk to um, and share my, my concerns and my thoughts and my fears with as well. So those are some strategies that I, I think are, are, are really important uh, exercising regularly um, um, and spending time um, uh, with your friends I would just say, uh, and, and and I put this in my ten finger thing with your friends only, right? And this, is, and I, I I laugh because when I, I always say when I judge, put that down, my wife saw it. It was like what? It's like no, you need to spend time with just your friends too. Um, you know, you have you have good friends. You want to just be, you know, I I I used to hate going places, and people would. I'm with my friends, and it's like. Hey, Dr. Davis. So like, no, I'm just barren. Like I just, in this space, I just want to be barren. I don't want to be anything, just a friend, a college buddy, you, your frat brother. I just want to be B. I don't want to be anybody else. So don't treat, don't ask me anything about school or anything. I just, I just want to hang out. And those, I needed those things and I needed to engage in that. So you've talked about some of the sample uh, strategies that you use. Um, if someone wanted to bring this, you know, put put 10 fingers up and put a finger down, if if they wanted to bring that to their district and customize it a little bit, go ahead, take it from the top and tell us how you kick off this exercise and kind of the the um, underpinning behind it. So it, it really came from the TikTok challenge, uh, the, the put, a ten put a 10 finger down challenge. And uh, I, I, of course, I had to adopt it and modify it to be because uh, it could be anything. So I wanted to adopt and modify for self-care. But you, you, I would essentially ask questions of things that I did. It really started from things that I did. And I realized those things were having a detrimental um, an impact, a negative impact on my well-being. Uh, and so I'd ask the question, you know, if you uh, say, for example, wake up in the middle of the night and check your email when you're going for a function break, put a finger down. And uh, um, and if at the end, if you got all of your fingers down or most of your fingers down, then you aren't doing a very good job of taking care of yourself. You're not doing a really good job of, of take, taking care of yourself. Put a finger down if you reschedule doctor's appointments to attend uh, school functions or work functions. 
you know, put a finger down if you have a sense of uh, paranoia, things like that. I, I, and I, you know, I shared during that during the presentation how I didn't have um, uh, a little paranoia. I operated uh, in paranoia as a superintendent, and I, I'm not ashamed to admit that to people at all. But being a superintendent, there's always this sense of, of paranoia. Um, that, you know, something's going to happen or, you know, why are those people over there in the corner talking or what questions, you know, what does this question really mean that's out of the blue? I mean, it was a really, a real sense of paranoia in that work. So once we were done, um, if you got, like I said, if you don't have any fingers down, then I, you need to immediately start putting in some of the practices uh, of self-care. Uh, almost instantly. And I, I can tell you, I've done that presentation so many times. I've only been one place, uh, one time where a superintendent had nine fingers up. And I told I told the guy, I said, you should never leave your school district. Like that's, I, that's unheard of. I mean, any job or any job to, <laughs> that's unheard of. So congratulations to him uh, on, on, uh, on living a very, very healthy uh, lifestyle when it comes to his mental and physical well-being, because most of us aren't doing it that way. Dr. And Davis. I hope that it gave them permission, guys, to to take care of themselves. That's really what I was wanting to empower people is like self-care is you. You have to take the initiative to take care of yourself and stop waiting on other people to bail you out and do it for you because they're, they're never going to do it for you. So you got to take the initiative to take care of yourself. Dr. Davis, you're giving us so much practical advice and we really appreciate it. I know we're going to try to connect folks with some of these resources so that they can learn from this wisdom and not just the TikTok challenge, but your own adaptation of it to help us kind of round this communication and uh, this conversation and bring it to a, to again, a practical close. You've talked about the leadership mentality, your kind of shepherd's mindset of making sure that you're aware of all these relationships. But as a leader, you also have to track how your whole organization is is adopting this change and is bringing that change into the spaces where they serve the students and serve other staff. What are some key metrics or indicators that you should look for as a, as an educational leader, as a superintendent who can keep nine fingers up? What are some of the things that you would prioritize? What are the measurables that we can look for uh, in our district so that we know that the wellness and the, the the presence of our students and our staff really is at the center of what we're doing. How do you know that you're ahead of that curve so that you're creating conditions that will allow those needs to be met? Well, I, I hope one um, that um, I I could my my staff and my students uh, would have had this sense of uh, that they could be authentically themselves in the spaces that they live in and work mm -hmm. in. And so measuring how they perceive themselves and particularly um, how they see whether or not they feel they can be authentically themselves. It's a heavy burden to carry around when you have to be somebody else and being yourself and feeling safe in the space to be yourself, I think, reduces and releases a lot of stress and a lot of tension. You don't have to have a facade. I think there's, you know, some some natural things that that we would yeah, people want to be guarded and protected of, but for the most part, I want people to feel like they can be themselves in in this in these in the workspaces and the, and the learning spaces that um, that they inhibited inhibit uh, resiliency um, and and figuring out a way to measure uh, staff uh, and student resilient uh, resiliency. You know, is my staff coming to work? What's what's the attendance like with the staff? You know, there was this once upon a time we used to talk about 
staff taking mental health days and, and things like that because they're feeling burnt out and things like that. So want to be able to reduce that type of uh, need to have to take a full day off or multiple days off because they're feeling burdened and overwhelmed and stressed out. So how do they feel about that? Can I help reduce um, workload and where can I find an opportunity to reduce workload? And does that give you a sense of relief in uh, your day-to-day -day work experience um, in, in, in the building? And then other things, another thing that I, I would probably think about what I would look at and measure with, with particularly with staff and with students is just uh, levels of engagement as at school and perception um, of the of the learning environment. Uh, there's typically surveys that will measure that for you, um, where there's a, a a perception of the environment and the space in which you which you teach and learn, and how do they feel about those spaces? Do they feel that their spaces are healthy and safe, and those spaces um, give them what they need, um, and or they can find what they need in that space to be. Uh, a healthy, productive student or, or, or adult. Well said. And with that, we'll leave the conversation right there. Dr. Baron Davis, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Final Sight for their support of School PR Drive Time.